Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me on the Fox Sports app and at foxsports.com. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places. But there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA. And that is here. I did not deliver on the promise of an episode before Game 6 of the NBA Finals. The day was supposed to be free of TV duties, but as it turned out, Speak for Yourself called me in from the bullpen, and that wrecked my plan for the day, which, in part was cranking out an episode of OTB before tip-off. I actually could have recorded one, but it would have been released right around tip-off, and I figured at that point, why not just wait and fold in whatever transpired in Game 6? I was confident enough that it was going to be, as I predicted in the last episode, that the Warriors would close out the series. So I didn't feel as if uh, the game was going to require a whole lot of detail or review. Besides, most of you are watching it, I assume, anyway. So you don't need me to tell you what happened. might need me to tell you, in some cases, what I see and what you should be looking for or should have looked for, but that's a different story. And as it turns out, while I don't feel good not delivering on a promise, it's probably just as well because it might have meant having to do two episodes in a row on Steph Curry. Now, why was I so confident that the Warriors were going to close it out in six? Because this is what I know about championship teams. They don't mess around. It's why I didn't feel that the Celtics were ultimately going to end up champions, because they do mess around. Champions, when they have a chance to get the job done, they do it. That's why you had Andre Iguodala chewing out Gary Payton Jr. for sloppy fouls in the third quarter. The average player, maybe the average fan, might think, what's the big deal? The Warriors have a double-digit lead. The Celtics are practically creating fast-break buckets for the Warriors with ill-advised passes, and Steph clearly has found his shooting eye again. Andre, you might be overreacting just a little bit, right? Now, all of what I said about what was happening in the game is true. But you never add extra work to your load 
by easing up or taking the opponent for granted. Because that leads to shrunken leads, which leads to Steph having to come back sooner than Steve Kerr would want, which means having him play more minutes on less rest and most likely having to do more, which leads to having to extend himself physically, which can lead to an injury or fatigue or some other unforeseen consequence. It's, it's like one possession in the second half where the Celtics had a 24-second clock violation. The play started with Jason Tatum guarded by Steph Curry. And it took Tatum about four seconds to decide what to do, which ultimately was nothing. Swing the ball to Marcus Smart to initiate the offense and look for him to do something. Which Marcus did, attacking the paint. I don't remember the exact ins and outs of the entire possession, but he did drive and kick. The ball got swung, and eventually it ended up in Smart's hands again. And he decided, after there was a Warriors defender closing out on him, to swing it to Al Horford, even though the clock was very short at that point. And bottom line is, Horford didn't get his shot off in time. Made it, was maybe a tick short. Now, most people would blame Smart. He needed to pump fake, shoot the ball, do something, get the shot off. I blame Tatum. Offensive plays have a rhythm. And players learn that rhythm. And plays are set to be able to get certain action within 24 seconds. That's why it depends on coming up. Honestly, it's why a lot of times players let the ball roll all the way to half court. Because it gives them more of that 24 seconds in certain situations during the game. Tatum screwed up the play from the start by burning four seconds without accomplishing anything at the very start of the possession. That, by the way, is one of the many extraordinary talents that Curry has that does go unappreciated or underappreciated. The ball rarely gets stuck with him. And being the superstar he is, the superstar scorer that he is, he would have that leeway to hold on to it, to study the defense, to see where he can go. But he is rarely indecisive. If he's going to shoot, he shoots. If he doesn't have a shot, he gives it up and moves. And you rarely see him start to dance with the ball and try to get himself a shot and then ultimately give it up and do nothing. Sometimes he'll give it up, but then he relocates so that if whoever he gave the ball to doesn't have something, that he's creating them an option for them to give it back and allow him to take care of that work. There's nothing worse than a guy who dribbles through the clock and then passes it without really having created anything and says, oh, you go to work now. That is, uh, it's, it's letting your teammates down. There's no other way to put it. And it's why even when the Celtics showed signs of life early in the fourth quarter, I never had a shred of doubt that Curry would snuff out that life. That he would attack and find a seam or a shot or an open teammate. Which is exactly what he did. This is why the Warriors, to a man, all talked about him as their leader. Because from day one of this season, and you should go back if you haven't seen it, 
I wrote a piece on FoxSports.com talking to the assistant coach that works the closest with him, Bruce Frazier, known as Q, about Steph's attitude starting last summer about how he expected or saw that this team was going to go for a championship and how he carried that. First of all, he infused Fraser with it. And then when he came to training camp, he infused everybody on the team with it from day one of training camp. He didn't know how they were going to do it. Uh, They didn't know how they were going to do it. But they believed and he believed they would figure it out, which is exactly what they did. That's why I'm glad I waited to address the subject of this podcast until after the game. It involves a question that was bandied about the NBA verse in various forms earlier this week and then subsided as questions often do. I've already mentioned it, by the way. But it deserves a deeper dive than I saw it given anywhere during that stretch because it says a lot about a lot of things, not the least of which what we value in our sports figures. And the question is, is Steph Curry underappreciated? Every now and then, a subject hits me and I think about it in context of the concerns of the average sports fan out there. The question concerning the level of the world's appreciation for Steph when it comes to big issues in the world today seems almost comical. Gas prices, the war in Ukraine, gun violence, the discovery that American citizens were literally prepared to kill or at least severely harm elected officials, are all among them. But we love sports because it allows us to believe the world isn't as effed up as it is, that there are consequences for actions, that the just do prevail, and that there is a fair and equal reward system. Everyone gets two points for a basket inside the arc, three for making a shot from outside it, and one point for a free throw. I dare you to find some element in the real world that is as certain as that for everyone. If you step out of bounds with the ball, you lose it. So you get the point. At a time when it seems as if there are different rules for different people, or rather the harsh reality that there have always been different rules for different people, that's being put in our face like never before. Sports offers a place to go where there is still law and order. Yeah, you may have questions about the referees and their uh, application of the rules, but still, it's better than you're going to find anyplace else. So, back to the question. Is Steph Curry underappreciated? And the answer is, absolutely yes, he is. Now, don't confuse being underappreciated with being underrated. I'd say there's been a slight tendency to overrate Steph. It might even be ha- might even be happening now as we bask in the glow, the afterglow of his first finals MVP and winning another championship and the emotional vision or image of him and his teammates celebrating. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. And maybe he's not overrated now that everybody is joining the coronation. Or maybe he is. Everybody's joining the coronation. That the comparisons are sure to come with LeBron, with Jordan, with Magic. As the summer wears on, the comparisons and all of that is going to continue. And perhaps, most likely, get out of hand. But you've heard of the Napoleon Complex. That's when men, short of stature, overcompensate for their feelings of inadequacy by flaunting their accomplishments or bragging about them and being just overly aggressive in general. Steph doesn't have that. He has what I call Napoleon compensation. And yes, I just made that up. Which is a claim granted an athlete because of their physical shortcomings, at least in comparison to their competitors. When we talk about all-time greats and where Steph fits in with them, there's one constant. He is, without a doubt, the shortest and lightest among them. Not light, you know what I mean, lightest in weight. Because uh, today's world, I've got to clarify that. Some critics will say, and I am one of them, that he's not capable of dominating in the same way Kobe, Michael, LeBron, Shaq, Wilt, or any other superstar because he's six foot two and listed as 185 pounds. Though apparently his work in the weight room has prompted a significant change, raising that number to 200. He looks stronger, especially through the shoulder. So I, I have no doubt he's up from 185. 200? Six two and 200 pounds is pretty damn stocky. I'm 6'2", and when I was lifting three times a week without fail, I got to 190-something, and I felt buff, but, um, well, I know how I looked and felt, and I felt bigger and stronger than I looked, so I guess I'm buying that Steph is up to two bills. I was always surprised when I first heard that LeBron, and I got this from a Cleveland, uh, Cleveland official who over looked over his shoulder when he stepped on the scale that LeBron when he was in Cleveland toward the end of his first Cleveland run was weighing in at almost 280 pounds 278 pounds I think it was and you looked at him and you're like wow that's but muscle will is far heavier than than just normal body weight any case even at 500 or excuse me even at 200 Steph is still the shortest and lightest in weight in the conversation for top 20 all-time players. But he has learned how to dominate in other ways. And I'm at a point now where I'm not going to hold it against him that one of those ways is by utilizing the talent he has around him to the nth degree. Because it's one thing to have teammates who can make up for your shortcomings, and every superstar player had them. And it's another to inspire those teammates by recognizing their contributions and sharing the spotlight with them. Steph has never failed to do that. Good teams, bad teams, has always been the consummate team player. 
That's where the lack of appreciation for Steph is rooted. For if we truly appreciated him for everything he is and everything he's done, he would have been the most popular player in the league without fail for the last eight years. And that simply hasn't been the case. LeBron James has. And while LeBron's individual accomplishments do dwarf Steph's, though not over the last eight years, I would argue, the way he conducts himself falls way short of Steph. Not everybody. Just Steph. That's one reason why it made me shake my head when LeBron tweeted out how unappreciated Steph is and that it's because they, in quotations, don't like anyone who is different. Now, it all started with a tweet by Dwayne Wade. Actually, it started with Steph dropping 43 in Game 4 of the NBA Finals to help the Warriors tie the series 2-2 on Boston's home floor and regain home court advantage. That performance prompted Wade to tweet, Everyone keeps talking about what Steph ain't. Let's talk about what he is. A bad MF'er. To which LeBron responded, FACTS in all caps. They in quotations, will try to do anything in their powers to not acknowledge how different, again, all caps and in in quotations, he is. It's rare, and rare is not liked or appreciated. By the way, it's in their power, not plural. In any case, it is rather incredible. Even when doling out praise to someone, LeBron comes off as a little whiny and persecuted. The dude just became the first active billionaire athlete, and he still speaks on a regular basis as if the man is keeping him down, or society is mistreating him. Because included in that tweet was the suggestion that he is rare, and rare is not liked or appreciated, which means he, LeBron, is not liked or appreciated. (laughs) I just told you that he was the most popular player by multiple metrics over the last 10 years. In spite of the argument that Steph has done more over the last eight. And yet, you've never heard Steph complain about not getting his just due or not being credited or recognized. So my biggest issue with Wade and LeBron taking up for Steph is that they are part of the reason Steph is underappreciated. Because there was a time not that long ago when they assuredly did not appreciate what made him different from them. First of all, let's not forget that in 2015, the they, I assume LeBron is referring to, the media, voted Steph MVP of the NBA. While the players with their inaugural Players Voice Award selected James Harden as MVP with no apology. So, at least as of eight years ago, they had a greater appreciation for Steph. They, the media, had a greater appreciation for Steph than the players did. I also have not forgotten the resentment that LeBron, KD, Russell Westbrook, and other stars held for Steph as he blew up. 
believing that he didn't deserve the halo and accolades that came with being a champion and the leader of a 73-win team. They resented that he grew up with an NBA father and came from a solid two-parent at home. All of this was bubbling under the surface. They thought he was given a head start in the race and still wasn't running as fast as they were. He wasn't invited to sit at their lunch table. Now, Steph never complained about any of it, but you can bet he was aware of it. For those who may not know, Marcus Thompson of The Athletic, formerly of the San Jose Mercury News, is as tight with Steph as any reporter is. He's been around the team as a beat writer and columnist, uh, well, not longer than anyone, but in recent history, longer and more intently than anyone. He wrote a book with Steph that was released in 2017 called Golden, The Miraculous Rise of Steph Curry. Three or four years ago, he was asked about the relationship between Steph and LeBron and detailed what I just told you about the relationship between Steph and the league's other stars. He also acknowledged that Steph was confused and somewhat disappointed by it. Rest assured, Thompson wasn't making any of that up. He got it directly from Steph. Golden was an authorized biography, and I've seen the two interact. I know how close they are. What is underappreciated about Steph is that he easily could have crowed after winning finals MVP. Instead, when he was asked about it right out of the gate in the post-game press conference, He slammed the table and said, why are we starting with that? We are champions. That was the pronoun he used over and over and over again after winning. He could have called out the doubters. And he could have said, how do you like me now? And all of that. And he would have been justified in doing it. But he didn't. He didn't come close. The man was holding his head in disbelief in the final minutes because what he thought could happen, what he hoped would happen, actually was happening. He didn't take it for granted. He didn't assume it was his birthright to win another ring. Not at 34. Not after multiple injuries. Not with his splash brother, Clay Thompson, missing half the season and even going 5 for 20 in game 6 having a very unlike game six for Clay, Not with two starters, Andrew Wiggins and Otto Porter Jr., who had never been in a finals before, much less close out one, come out and play like seasoned veterans who had been there before, even though they hadn't. What is underappreciated about Steph Curry is that all his success has not changed who he is fundamentally. He is as humble now as he was when he went to Davidson. And I've seen him from the very start of his career, from the first day that he showed up with the Warriors. He is as dedicated to his craft as when he was struggling to stay on the court because of wobbly ankles. Now all that sounds easy, but the man has made a boatload of money. He's received a boatload of accolades and he's etched etched his place in the hearts of Warriors fans forever. He has wildly overachieved. And yet, he remains unsatisfied. He remains hungry. And he remains focused on all the right things. He has contributed his time and money 
to as many social causes as LeBron has. He's just never sought the attention for his contributions the way LeBron has. That is what is underappreciated. If you needed an example of not only what the right thing to do is, but how to do it, you could not find a better role model than Steph. And yet, he never has presented himself as a role model. He's never suggested you should look at him. Nor has he ever acted as if he's being underserved, as if those around him are not good enough, as if his opponents are beneath him. He has been the consummate competitor and the consummate gentleman. Those are things that don't show up in a box score. They do show up in the win-loss column. Who knows where the Warriors would be if Steph had flexed his power when the Warriors faltered after Kevin Durant left. If he bought into the talk, and there was some, that maybe he needed to go to another franchise, that the Warriors were letting him down with a roster that posted the worst record in the league without him, all save five games. He didn't post videos of him working out last summer with Coach Fraser, which he did, work out that is, with a fiendish devotion, vowing that the Warriors were going to exact revenge. He didn't vow that the Warriors were going to exact revenge. He didn't vow anything. He just put in the work, and then he let the work speak for itself. That is what is underappreciated. More than anything, though, he is underappreciated because of how he makes all of us, all of us, his teammates, his fans, even his critics, feel about his success. He does not keep it to himself. He does not claim it for his own. He is grateful that he gets to experience it. And he's glad that he simply gets the opportunity to do what he is doing. Right after the Warriors clinched the title, as he stood on the court and talked to Lisa Salters from ESPN, he expressed gratitude that he got to be there in TD Garden, playing the game that he loves at the highest level. He expressed gratitude. How can you not appreciate that? Well, here's the truth. We can't appreciate that enough. And we don't. But we sure as hell can try. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United WeCast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. In the next episode, I'm thinking that I'm going to break down where do the Warriors go from here? Can they make another dynastic run? What would happen for that to be the case? And maybe take a look at the Boston Celtics as well. What the future holds for them. Are they going to be back? Right now, the odds say that both of these teams have the greatest odds of coming back and meeting again in next year's finals. I'm not so sure. But we will continue that conversation, along with a lot of other things that fall out as a result of the Warriors winning yet another championship. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.